All information given in this episode is for educational purposes and should not be tried prior to consulting a licensed physician and or certified state or accrediting bodies. We encourage all listeners to research, talk, and make all inquiries to all of the important professionals and governing bodies before acting on any information heard on the Day Love It podcast. Any action taken by any listener is done by and under their own omission and action, whether conscious to the results, positive or not. To the Della Fit Podcast, 360 degrees of holistic fitness and health, all in one podcast. Salutations and proclamations. It is I, it is you, it is us, it is we. Together we make up the digital family that is the De La Fit Podcast. I'm your host, Philly's number one son, aka the body alchemist, Sun Moon Bay, bringing you another podcast excursion happy friday to one and all i hope that everybody's week was full of love health and happiness i know much is going on in the world at this time and even more is taking place in the media but we hope here at the day left podcast that you will find a source of hope health and love here we have a great show for you today we have special guest Melanie rogers Melanie Rogers is founder of Balance Eating Disorder Treatment Center located in Manhattan, New York City. She is a registered CEDRD, which stands for Certified Eating Disorder Registered Dietitian. And she's here to talk with us about our premier topic today, which is disordered eating versus eating disorders. The difference between the two and why mental health issues and eating disorders are on the rise within the Western world. In my personal opinion, this is going to be one, a very interesting conversation and it's a conversation that many of us have had here and there. Anybody that pays attention to social media, which it's hard not to, but the talk of uh, Dr. Sebi and the different diets that are flying around, whether it's veganism, uh, keto, uh, paleo, there's so many things going around. Uh, and one of the things that I was recently talking with a friend of mine about is the fact of the word diet. I have a very, very, how do I say, I don't like the definition or the thought pattern that comes behind the word diet that is perpetuated here in the Western society. I was always taught that diet is not just something that you do to get a short-term effect or a short-term accomplishment. Diet is how we sustain ourselves. And in the Western world, specifically the United States, we have made diet something that is about one of two things mostly one thing which is losing weight want to lose weight lose weight lose weight Uh, and then you have the extreme right of that which would be i want to gain weight i want to gain muscle gain muscle gain muscle and then you have the few who are just like i just want to maintain the weight level that i'm at it is very frustrating to me 
when I hear people talk about I, I need to get on a diet, specifically younger people, because a lot of the times most younger people, when I say younger people, I'm thinking of individuals who are between the ages of 13 and 18. I'll go up to 18. I start to say uh, 17. But it really is frustrating to me because this is the time when you're supposed to be your body is building your hormones are still raging they're still growing and when i hear this particularly many young women talk about that they need to go on a diet or, or their parents somebody in their family said oh you need to go on a diet or something like that i have such disgust for this even young men who are in sports i, I have a very very skewed or, or a very um I, I just don't like it because we're growing and then as adults we don't have the right mindset many of us don't not all of us but many of us are not taught the proper mindset when it comes to diet because it's not just point a point b or one to two situation diet is a, it's an entire lifestyle now the key point in my opinion is how do we get the proper diet so that we can maintain an excellent healthy lifestyle and fitness thought pattern throughout our entire lives it shouldn't be something that's just like oh, i'm going to change it just for this just for the summertime or just for that that's not uh in my opinion the appropriate thought pattern to take with diet so we're going to be talking a little bit about that uh with Melanie rogers and she's going to fill us in on some very interesting uh facts and tips that hopefully you all can take away with yourself uh, for yourself out there and I hope that it's going to be interesting I'm actually quite confident I think this is going to be a good show and I am sending out nothing but love to all of you out there so let's get into it right now our interview with Melanie Rogers Daylight Fit Podcast is sponsored by Mountain Made CBD. Mountain Made is changing the CBD game by offering a line of high-dose CBD tablets at an affordable price. Their products are THC-free and third-party tested for accuracy, cleanliness, and potency. Their products, which ship nationwide, include Build for CBD saturation, Boost for precision titration, Recovery for rest and rehab. With nine years experience in hemp and fitness, Mountain Maid's founders are focused on creating a quality product to help those who live an activated lifestyle. Check out www.mountainmaid.life to find out more about how their products can help you crush life. Remember, their products ship nationwide. Go check out their website today and follow them on social media at MNT. M-A-D-E. I started using Mountain Maid's Build CBD tablets to help me with the injury in my elbow. And let me tell you something. Not only has the injury subsided, but now I can do push-ups and I'm back to bench pressing. So I encourage anybody who's interested to look up, check out Mountain Maid and all their products. I think you'll be glad you did. You're now tuned in to the Daylight Fit Podcast. Three sixty degrees of holistic fitness and health. That is the Daylight Fit podcast. Today we are going to be speaking with 
Melanie Rogers. Melanie Rogers is a dynamic speaker, educator, and publisher. She also is the first president and co-founder of the International Association of Eating Disorders Professionals, the IAEDP New York chapter. And she is with us today to talk about eating disorders versus disordered eating. And I think this is something that many of us need to have the conversation about just because of all of the stress that we're going through, whether it's our regular lifestyles, whether it be the virus, we have gotten, and I say we, meaning uh, the Western world has gotten away from its roots when it comes to proper eating habits. So hopefully Melanie can help us kind of trace our our way back, help us form a map. Melanie, how are you today? I'm great, Son Moon. Thanks so much for having me on your program today. It is my pleasure. So, Melanie, why don't you give us a little background on yourselves before we get into the conversation? I understand you are from Australia. I am indeed, yes. Uh, born and raised in Australia. I came to New York uh, probably about, oh my goodness, uh, 20 years ago. Sorry, I forgot there for a second. Um, I came to New York to do my graduate studies here at New York University in clinical nutrition. And um, so I am a registered dietitian and I'm a certified eating disorder registered dietitian and supervisor. So that um, that is my specialty. Um, upon arriving here, I uh, did my studies so that I could go into private practice, and uh, which I did, specializing in eating disorders. And now I run a clinic where I uh, have a team who works with me and we treat eating disorders of, of, um, of all varieties from anorexia through to bulimia and binge eating disorder. What prompted your journey into this research? Into eating disorders. So I, as a nutritionist, I thought I would be focusing on working with people around weight management and, you know, the obesity epidemic that we've heard about especially over the last 20 years, diabetes, these kind of conditions. Um, but when I was doing my internship 20 years ago, I was working, uh, um, interning, I should say, up at the Obesity Research Center here, affiliated with Columbia University. And it was there that I was exposed to this treatment protocol for binge eating disorder. And uh, what they what they had what they were doing there is they had a team of nutritionists, therapists, a psychiatrist, a medical doctor, and also a sports physiologist. And so this team, this multidisciplinary team of these five specialists, were working with clients around their relationship with food. So they were approaching their relationship with food. And these are people who were overeating and had subsequently um, struggled with, you know, their weight, their weight going up and often therefore um, developing serious health conditions such as diabetes, high blood pressure, etc. So um, this team was, was trying to help uh, clients not just with what are you eating and how much, right? The old kind of calories in, calories out, but more about why are you eating that or not eating that? When are you eating that? What does this mean to you? What's your relationship with your food uh, really about? And then looking at underlying anxiety, depression, underlying trauma, and looking at the emotional 
aspects of what's going on for that client that may be manifesting in their food uh, in a similar way as we now understand with respect to, let's say, um, drug addicts or um, you know substance users or even porn addicts. There's often an underlying piece um, that drives the behaviour. You know, the behaviour is really a symptom of, of what's going on internally for these people. So I found that absolutely mind-blowing in the sense of it's so damn complicated um, and it's not just the nutritional piece, which I love, the medical aspect, but it's also the psychological aspect. And so that just just hooked me. Um, and so I started to, you know, research more and go to conferences and, and get more training in this area. And then full disclosure, as I learned more about it, I realized that my own uber healthy eating back in my 20s was actually not really healthy eating at all. It was actually my own eating disorder that I had gone through in my 20s, which I kind of knew, but I always denied. Um, but as I put the pieces together, Sun Moon, I, I realized that I had walked down that path myself, you know, being um, for my my myself that presented itself as more under eating restricting overeating and then over exercising so i used to be a marathon runner and i i say that in inverted commas um because the running was really about anxiety of weight gain and that was my motivation that would get me out of bed every morning at five o'clock even if it was snowing um so we'll talk about that i'm sure today about what's the difference between disordered eating and an eating disorder you know but um Fear and uh, anxiety are, are really common um, elements that underscore these behaviors. What is the difference between disordered eating and an eating disorder? They're actually very similar. Um, it comes down to frequency of behaviors and severity of behaviors. So really, it's it's the same thing. It's just on a spectrum. So you know, at one end you have a neutral relationship with food in your body, meaning that food is just food and your body is fine and you're not obsessing. And then as you move along that that line or that spectrum, we get to a place of spending a lot more time thinking about our food choices and calories and our weight and our appearance and our body image and continue moving along and we get to a point where we spend so much time thinking about our weight and our calories and body image and exercise that it starts to interfere with our day-to-day -day life. Um, and so that latter, um, uh, that latter description is what we would call a full-blown eating disorder. Um, so you can see that they're actually all very connected. Disordered eating, would we say that would be a precursor to a eating disorder? Usually, yeah, that's a good catch. And, okay. and actually the way that it usually presents, which is really interesting, is usually someone goes on a diet and I would make the argument that dieting is its own form of disordered eating. Mm, what we agree. almost always see, I'm sure you might agree, sun, um, sun Moon, is when people start dieting, they're usually cutting calories. And then they yes. start to get even more obsessed um, about food than they may have before. And uh, so what we see for those who are genetically vulnerable, and this is the key piece, for those who are genetically vulnerable, that initial dieting behavior can then take them down a rabbit hole. And what we see is the illness actually then gets switched on. It starts to manifest. Probably in the same way, if you think about alcoholism, 
Um, if you have a hundred college students who are binge drinking a lot through college, uh, not all of them, not not one hundred of them, all one hundred of them are going to become alcoholics. But a certain percentage will who have a genetic predisposition to develop alcoholism. And that's based upon how the brain is wired and how the brain reacts to alcohol in that in that example. It's the same with an eating disorder. For some people, the way their brain is wired, it reacts to food in a certain way. And therefore, we see the, the kind of switching on it of the illness, if you will. I find it interesting, the fact that you said about diet. It's one of the words that I really have a disdain for, only because of the fact of how misunderstood it is. My training is I'm a physical trainer. So many individuals come to me and the first thing they ask is, how do I lose weight? How do I lose weight? And the first thing they say is, I've tried this diet, I've tried that diet. And I have to, in a sense, remind them that diet is really what you are consistently eating is what sustains you i do that to try to remind them of that because i feel that today's society the media the marketplace has perpetuated such a lie that oh you get on this diet to do this you get on this diet to do that to do that and i don't really prefer to train my clients that way i'm like you can have a diet you can have a diet that'll keep you healthy you can have a diet that's not going to keep you so healthy it's really all what you want to accomplish as a whole which is how you should maneuver your diet what do you think about that would you agree with that yeah i think sun moon you're right on on the mark there it's very commonsensical i love that that's the messaging you're giving to your clients because as you probably know in the health and wellness field uh, there is so much misinformation and bad information and bad advice um, that unfortunately people are giving out there uh, to clients. Um, so I love that. I love that. That's your messaging. Absolutely. Also, I think something that's not as commercialized is the fact of just because you are not suffering from obesity that you can look very fit and have eating disorders or, as you say, disordered eating as well. Because I know many athletes who have suffered with this, runners or even weightlifters that suffer through this. Any athlete that has to try to make weight. You hit it on the head there. It's so prevalent in in uh, in the sporting arena. Um, and, you know, even sports that uh, we think of as more kind of guy sports, you know, think of wrestling. You said uh, weightlifting. I know there's mm-hmm. a lot of women now in the weightlifting arena now, but historically... Uh, any any area of sport where you have to make weight, you think about ice skaters, guys and gals. You know, in um, in wrestling, some of my friends, some of my guy friends were telling me that that's where they learned their bulimia, right? You know, you mm-hmm. slim down, you dehydrate yourself, you jump in the sauna, you throw up your food, you make weight, and then you just binge like heck afterwards, as an example. And uh, so it's really, really prevalent. And in the... Um, Field, uh, the field of you know running, for example, um, runners, cross country sprinters. It's just very, very prevalent. Yeah, I, I feel anything where you are have to force your body to undergo an unnatural, quick change can't be good for you. No, and I wonder actually, Sun Moon, what your thought is. But you know, we're pretty addicted to Instagram and social media as a society. 
there's a lot of in the health and wellness field right our field there's a lot of images out there of you know this personal trainer or this person with their before and after story and everyone is ripped you know and you can see all their muscles um and the reality is though is that people don't usually walk around looking that ripped they've actually had to actually really dehydrate themselves and usually fast a day or two um, before they actually take those photos to get that really um, low body fat look that is very prevalent and uh, friends that i've spoken to who do bodybuilding and show you know do the bodybuilding shows and such um, comps, excuse me, have mentioned that for like for two days their diet is, you know, lettuce leaves or whatever. So mm-hmm. again, I think the idea that, you know, be careful of what you're viewing or or it's kind of like Photoshop, right? It's not a reality. Like those people are doing some really unhealthy behaviors in order to look that way. Yet it's put out there as an example of, you know, if you work hard enough, you too can look like this, which is which is not true. You know, one of my mentors, he is a top ranked powerlifter. And what he told me, in addition to the fact of his mentoring and what we believe about how we should look physically versus the truth, is is astounding. Because when I see him, I would never know unless I knew him what he was capable of doing. Because he looks like a regular individual. Mm. And... I know individuals just like you who are bodybuilders and uh, compete, but like as you said, they go through this whole metamorphosis of cutting weight to show in that muscle. And I think we have, again, that dysfunction really misplaced what true health is. It's this is what we think is health versus what actually health is. There's a um, Something I want to ask you, since we're uh, in the lines talking about bodybuilding and cutting weight and things like that. Something else I've seen. Clean eating. Clean eating. You you have a statement. Is clean eating the same thing as healthy eating? Please explain that because I find that interesting. Oh, absolutely, Sun Moon. It makes me crazy, this whole clean eating thing. And I get it. You know, I get it that people want to be, you know, I think the motivation for a lot of people is they want to be they just want to take care of themselves and preventative health and as a society we've really embraced that the clean eating is this idea of usually very low fat uh no gmos no hormones uh it has to be organic and it's even gone so far as you know i need to know where this is sourced from as far as you know is this a farm in the hudson valley etc so kind of a farm to table almost mentality Mm -hmm. Uh, so uber uber healthy and as i mentioned usually low fat usually vegetarian if not vegan um and uh zero chemicals as much as possible so there's a lot to be admired about that again like that's a great thing to to move towards because really what that means is eating more fresh produce more fresh food really and uh and, and eating food that hasn't been processed is if you really kind of step back and take the big picture for you. But the problem is, is that people have gotten really obsessed about it. And um, to the, yeah, and to the point that it becomes unhealthy. So 
the food actually and the food choices, you use the word diet to mean, um, which it does, it means, you know, what we daily consume. Our diet is our, our regular meal plan or meal intake, food intake. And uh, they've taken it to an obsessive level where usually they've cut out a lot of different foods. Um, so there may actually be a, um, a deprivation within, within what they're eating. But even perhaps even more importantly is the distress and the anxiety that goes along with eating that way. That is extremely unhealthy. Um, so again, you know, going back to, to this idea about balance, it's the name of my company actually, but it's about balance. It's about... It's a great um, name, by the way. Thank you. Thank you. Um, it's about striving for, you know, as balanced to eating as you can and you've got your fresh food and you've got your fresh produce and you've got this. But, but you know, it's okay to throw your Doritos in there or, you know, throw in uh, some hot dogs or it doesn't have to be perfect. Um, so clean eating has is the new buzzword for uber healthy eating. I totally agree on that. I am vegan, by the way, so I understand totally what you're saying. Yeah. And some people do take it really far. And I was actually talking to a friend of mine and we were saying that we knew an individual who because they thought everything was vegan, it was healthy. And we had to have a conversation. It was like, you know, just because, quote unquote, there's many things that are vegan that aren't healthy. It's really having that full understanding, as you're saying, of and and not being overly obsessive. It, it It's life. My father used to always have a saying and it was, you know, it's a marathon. It's not a sprint. So you should be doing this as long as you're alive. And I feel we really have that A to B mentality, at least here in the uh, Western world. Eat clean. Go hard. Look good. Be shredded. Be ripped. It's it's (laughs) not like that. It's not really like that. (laughs) No, it's not. Especially if you've got a full time job and you're trying to live life in addition to you know, if that's all you do and that's all you focus on because you have the time and the energy and the money, um, good for you. But I'd still want you to be seeing a therapist, by the way, you know, because yeah. um, you're probably a little bit OCD as well. But um, it's so true. It's not It's not real life. And, and to your point, Sun Moon, it's not sustainable. And then no. my concern is that people then start beating themselves up because they fall off the wagon or whatever that experience is that we use um, and and people find that they're not consistent with those choices or behaviors over the long term because those behaviors are just not sustainable they take an enormous amount of effort and time and money um, to to be able to to do and also physiologically if you restrict yourself enough over time physiologically your body's going to you know um, is going to really uh, push up against that and demand that you seek out, for example, um, you know, we know that a lot of people tend to cut out one of my favorite macronutrients, which is carbohydrates. You know, a lot of people cut out their carbs, yes. right? Yes. They're trying to get shredded. And um, and so, um, and what they then find is if you, if you go out to a restaurant and the waiter puts a bread basket in front of you back in the day when we used to be able to go out to restaurants because of COVID-19. But, um, you know, and then they, they, they would feel like they were out of control around the bread basket um, and therefore they felt that they were lacking in willpower. 
Well, it's actually not willpower. It's actually a physiological response to deprivation and that the body actually needs carbs. It absolutely needs carbs. So that, I mean, that's just one example of this lack of sustainability. How much miseducation do you feel that we have as a general public when it comes to nutrition, food, exercise as a whole? Oh, wow. It's a large percentage. Um, the percentage I would say, I'll start with social media and miseducation and misinformation on social media. I recently came across this statistic that as much as 80 to 90% of what we consume on social media is not accurate when it comes to health claims, uh, fitness, etc. Now, in the fitness industry, as far as, gosh, I don't know, you'd you'd be a much better person to give your opinion on this, Sun Moon, but, you know, there's a lot of great personal trainers out there who are giving Mm -hmm. tips on, you know, these five exercises while you're at home and such. My hope is that those people know what they're doing and um, encouraging as far as people not injuring themselves. So you could probably speak to that better than I could. But going back to that statistic, 80 to 90% of what's on social media is is inaccurate in some way. Um, I think perhaps captures the fact that it's an alarmingly high percentage of misinformation out there around what to eat, even when to eat, what what to, how to exercise, how much to exercise, what to do with exercise. Um, so it's pretty appalling, actually. And I think the problem is is that the so-called, or I should say not so-called, the real experts out there are overshadowed by a lot of people who are, okay, well, this is what happened for me and worked for me. So therefore, by default, it's going to work for you. And I'm a science-based person because I, you know, I, I study science. Hey, everyone. We hope that you're enjoying the interview thus far. We'd just like to take some quick time out to remind everybody to like, follow, share, and subscribe. With every like, follow, share, and subscription, it helps the Daylight Fit podcast to grow. And the more we grow, the more information we can bring to you, the listener. So please, take some time out, like, follow, share, and subscribe. Thank you. Um, we don't think that way because we know from the research that's not accurate. Just because something worked for me doesn't mean it's going to work for you. And that's actually woefully inaccurate um, to to be out there preaching that. But with social media, it does lend a voice and a platform to anyone. Um, and so that's where as a consumer, you have to be really careful to check people out and make sure that they're actually credentialed or they've studied what they're preaching about. Um, I wonder what your view is there, Sun Moon, because you've got a great platform here and you're a personal trainer. Well, my view on it is, number one, it should be life. It should be like life. I don't ever promote the gym mentality to my clients. And, And it's funny because I don't have the standard amount of clients. The clients that I have, they come to me because they they're a particular type of person. So my methodology is the fact of if you like it and it's active, do it. If you're a dancer, dance. 
dance, dance, dance. We can add some weight resistant exercises in here and there. Maybe some things you can do at the house, but do what you naturally feel prone to do that is positive and active it could be riding a bike it could be swimming basketball for me i i i grew up in a family that was athletic father lift weights my father did a lot of calisthenics my mom ran track and field so for me i love it all but that's me but i don't try to promote that to any of i don't try to promote that as the overall lifestyle for everyone you have to find out what's going to work for you and a real professional is going to help tailor that for you they're not going to just say oh forget that let's go and get in the gym and you know lift these hundred pounds that's not in my opinion that's not how it should work I totally agree. I totally, totally agree. It's real life stuff. And that's where you're getting that sustainability, right? Because people are, are, are doing activities or movement that they love, that they enjoy. If it's walking, because, you know, here in New York City, a lot of us, it's that's our main activity is we walk everywhere. Right. Um, dancing, etc. I love, I love that you meet your clients where they are and, and set them up in a positive mode where they're able to, to do something active in a sustainable way and and in you know i think we're a reflection of each other in the sense that that's exactly what we try to do with with clients with their food is to try to set them up in a way that it's a positive experience it doesn't take a lot of time and energy it's certainly not something to obsess or stress over and therefore by an extension of that also accepting their body where it is so you know as far as uh trying to get them for many of our clients at least to body neutral um, and maybe along the path to loving their body, but you know, I'll leave that as an optional thing to, to work towards. Hard to do that in this culture. But circling back, Sun Moon, I think you hit it on the head in the sense of you're not trying to sell some kind of plan or book or latest diet. You know, I think for consumers, we all have to remember that the diet, health, and wellness industry is uh, $72 billion a year just in america that's how much people spend on this stuff so exactly now if you wanted to hustle and make money then you have to have you know a thing and a thing is not saying to people eat more fruit and vegetables and you know if you like to dance then dance you know you have to have a program because you have to be able to sell it so exactly (laughs) right there's 72 billion dollars worth of worth of a lot of people out there that want your money um and i don't mean that people are ill-motivated who are in the health and wellness industry, not at all, because uh, I know that people are looking for help and support, but it's important for the consumers out there to realise that there's a lot of money to be made in this industry and therefore there's a lot of misinformation and getting back to the basics, which I think is what you're trying to do, Sun Moon, and what we're trying to help people do is reconnect to hunger and fullness. You know, you don't need Weight Watchers telling you this number of points and this number of points. Get back to hunger and fullness um, as best you can and food preferences and food satiety and um, how does food make you feel and eating consistently and and as our mum and dad used to tell us when we were kids right eat your fruit and vegetables and you know that sort of eye roll stuff but it's what what our bodies need and for everybody listening if you're doing any of the things that we're talking about and you're you're finding enjoyment in them that's fine we're not telling you not to do certain things we're just we're having a conversation based on how things can be promoted as though it's only one side of the story and this is a very complex 
complex puzzle, which is nutrition, fitness, and health. Melanie, let's go back to social media for a minute. Uh, in what ways can social media impact body image? I've noticed and heard certain statistics about what it can do to our self-esteem. Can you give us specifically maybe like three points to focus on or to remember when it comes to body image and social media? Social media is, is, um, is really tough when it comes to body image because we have to remember that so many of people's photographs, if you, if you focus on the visual aspect of social media, particularly Instagram, for example, people's photographs are curated um, and we use a lot of filters. So it's kind of like photoshopping photographs in magazines before we had social media. Or, or even now, current day, but we don't consume magazines in the same way. Um, so what you're seeing is an unrealistic, if not actually um, non-existent image uh, that is held up as a, um, uh, a model of what you can perhaps um, esteem to, to work towards. And it's just not realistic. And what it does is we are prone to or designed to compare ourselves to others. And so what we find ourselves doing is we find ourselves comparing what do I look like compared to that woman in that photograph. And what it does is it sets people up to therefore uh, compare and criticize their bodies and helps to perpetuate negative body image. Negative body image is then connected to uh, self-esteem and also to a lack of self-confidence because we feel that we are less than other people around us when in fact... Um, it's actually um, all kind of make-believe, if you will. It's not real. Um, so what we see as a result of that at its worst is uh, anxiety and depression. Um, and a lot of people with a lot of internal distress, um, which is, is honestly kind of unnecessary. So three points then. One, social media sets you up for comparing yourself to others, usually in a negative way. Number two, the images that you're consuming are not necessarily real. Uh, so number three, what we what we advocate for our clients is to be very careful about what you're consuming on social media, who you're following. And if you're looking at, you know, imagery of others that makes you feel bad about yourself, check in with yourself. And I would suggest even unfollowing some of those accounts if you can. I'm so glad you said that my reason for asking this question because i felt like you actually answered it previously is the fact of even as a trainer and i know other trainers that go through this as well i actually started to unfollow many individuals because i was comparing myself to other trainers and you're right this self-esteem issue is a big issue and once i started to unfollow i really started to focus more on myself and I'm sharing this for anybody else that's listening because there are some out there I, and some friends some people that know me and they'll come up they'll be like man you looking good man you, man you're doing good but you don't really as you said before Melanie you don't really know the whole story we're kind of looking again at a highlight reel everything looks great but that's not the truth so I, I want to thank you for answering that question and giving those three points, which takes me to another question where it comes to our health, nutrition, fitness. Why are mental health issues 
on the rise. I think you've already touched on it, but I, I feel it goes so much deeper. It does. You know, mental health is definitely on the rise, and actually, we're seeing we're seeing that mental health concerns and stress and anxiety with our younger our younger um, kids. You know, our adolescents, for example, um, young um, young adults in their twenties. And there does seem to be a lot of research that's suggesting that social media is actually um, a part of that, you know, a really big part of it, the constant comparison with others. Um, so that's a really, really big factor. Um, and, and I think mental health issues are really on the rise because of, you know, kind of the macro, the macro environment around us where, you know, we've, we're, we're in a pretty difficult uh, place right now, you know, with with um, college students graduating from university with student loans, and we've heard a lot about that. Um, health insurance, trying to get health insurance. Um, you know, for a lot of people um, who graduated 10 years ago into the Great Recession, um, that kind of set them back. So home ownership is, is uh, pretty low in that group as well. So there's a lot of um, just challenges of life, I think, that have all come together at a similar point in time and we didn't even touch upon, you know, a lot of stuff around climate change and these sorts of macro concerns in society, and then put them together with the micro of day-to-day -day comparison with others. And I think you've got a perfect storm of just, you know, the world out there is crazy and going crazy and we're headed, in, you know, it's all doom and gloom. And then on a micro level, I, I'm not as successful or looking as good as everyone else on my Instagram account. So, um, you know, if you think it's about true. That, and now we're adding in, you know, we've touched upon it, you know, as we as we um, do this podcast today, but we're all stuck inside right now because of COVID-19 outside, um, which talk about distress. So um, we're definitely experiencing an uptick in mental illness, um, mental health concerns and people just really struggling with mental distress. I recently talked to uh, Amanda Webster. She is a holistic health counselor. And we were talking about how the media, the surge in media affects and, and social media being a part of that uh, makes us feel combined with the whole scare of the virus that, you know, it's, it's a sense of urgency. There is a sense of urgency, and I don't want anybody to misunderstand what I'm saying, but the fear of the virus versus the media constantly hammering the nail can be worse for many of us, especially as you said, we're in the house. Some of us already suffer from uh, PTSD, uh, different other types of mental health issues. And it can be a great stress, a huge stress. I totally understand what it is that you're saying. How can we, from a health nutritional based standpoint, start to take a positive turn, Mulaney, to help us uh, to help us start moving in an upward direction from from the direction that we we tend to be going, that hard nosed dysfunctional mentality yeah i mean and it's so normalized sun moon that's what makes it so tricky and insidious is because you just think that you know everyone else is doing the same thing and i there's something wrong with me if i'm not coping but i, I think um 
and I think it's really tough too. Again, I'm thinking of our clients mostly in their 20s or the clients of ours that are in their 20s. You know, that, that age is so tough. So there is an age piece to this too because I do think that as you get to your 30s and your 40s, etc or so i'm told i <laughs> know i'm in that age group myself but um you know you, uh, yeah you start to get a, you start to learn to have a little bit more perspective i mean you may you know, i'm not saying that 20 year olds don't have it but there's something about as we age um a beauty of that is that you do get a little bit more perspective and you be a bit a little bit more bigger picture viewing which can help with being able to compartmentalize some of these things a little bit better than we can when we're younger um, so I think therefore, and that probably also adds to our point earlier, Sun Moon, about why are we seeing such an uptick in mental health? It's also because we, we just haven't or don't know the skills to protect ourselves. So really, we have to be really conscious of it. And I think that what's helping right now is that we're, we're really trying to blast um, this stigma around mental health and talk about it. And just by virtue of you and I having this conversation today, I just love it because we're trying to normalize the fact that there's a lot of people out there who struggle with anxiety, myself as well. Um, Might be too. Right, right. I mean, it's one in four, but it's way more than that. It's way more than that, you know. It's just that it's been buried in the closet for most people in their families, you know. Like most people will fess up to... I broke my leg, but not many people will fess up to the fact that, hey, I'm depressed right now or I'm anxious out of my head. Um, exactly. That's we're true. trying to reduce that stigma so that people can talk about it. And and even just doing that, even just for people listening to this podcast, they're taking a step towards helping themselves because hopefully they're realizing that there's a lot more, I'm not alone, and there's a lot more people out there who are feeling the same way that I am. And that you know, there's a lot of contributors in society that are making my me feel worse, making me feel more anxious and overloaded. Um, and therefore, when you can identify what these factors are that make you more anxious, you can then maybe start to think about, are these, are these elements in my life that are making more, me more anxious absolutely necessary? Are there some things that I can block out or change or are there some toxic friends that maybe I don't really need to hang out with so much? Are there some Instagram accounts I can unfollow? Are there some boundaries I can start to establish with my boss or my workplace or whatever it might be? So there's different different ways that we can learn to start protecting ourselves and listening to your inner self as far as your reaction to things is an indicator, it's a flag to you that all is not well with what's happening in this situation. And so if we can pay attention to that, we can then do something about changing it so that um, over time we're more protective of ourselves. It's almost like putting on a healthy protective armor so that not mm. everything coming your way hits you and leaves a scar. I have a question and I have seen in my experiences when individuals start to awaken to more of a healthy holistic mindset whereas maybe they're exercising or whatever it is that they're doing they're becoming more conscious and i think we we talked about this on the flip side but when they're becoming more conscious and they're doing more for their health and they're paying attention to themselves and then they're learning to more importantly enjoy it and understand it why is it that 
we start to see the negativity from individuals. D- these are the things I've, I've, I've experienced myself or heard. Oh, you're becoming a health nut or you have to die from something or you only live once. You know, why is it these individuals start to resort to those type of comments? Oh, my gosh, Sun Moon, it's so common, isn't it? And may may I add to that, that, you know, we treat eating disorders at my treatment center, as you know, and we've had clients on their road to recovery. I mean, this is a serious, serious illness. People die from it. And we've had families actually um, comment like, okay, I think you've gained enough weight now. Mm, Um, mm. Like, to your point, absolutely sabotaging. Exactly. And what and what I've what I've come to understand from you know my therapy team and understanding more of the psychological aspects is it's got nothing to do with you and it has everything to do with that person making the comment because either by you pursuing um, I don't know more activity in your life and you've got more energy and such um, they're therefore looking at what you're doing and it's making them feel worse about possibly their own inactivity. Or maybe you're starting to eat in, a, in a, a way that incorporates more of, you know, the fruits and veg and such that we were talking about. And they're looking at that and they're thinking about what they're doing. They're feeling badly about what they're eating. So they have to lash out at you. Um, it's very, it's very, it's very common and it's a very typical, um, unfortunately, it's a, it's a fairly typical response from people around us. And what's heartbreaking is that often it comes from the people nearest and dearest to us. So what's really heartbreaking about that is that sometimes you have to look at, you know, your loved ones around you and based upon either their support of you or for you or lack of support or even sabotage of what you're doing, um, it's actually a reality check of what their own internal stuff is you know and ideally you know they should get some therapy around that before they ruin the relationship but if they are set in their ways and they're toxic and poisoning in that way then it's important for you to realize it's their stuff this is not about them and then it's up to you to then decide how much interaction you want to have with them if they're not able to see that this is actually about them and their hang-ups does that make sense that makes a lot of sense and it sounds almost as though it's as, as simple as misery likes company. Melanie, please tell us where the listeners can contact you to ask you maybe more questions, find out about your your organization. I know you are an author as well. Do you have a book out? Let people out there who are listening, let them know. Absolutely. Thanks, Sun Moon. Yes, you can contact me via our website, Balanced tx.com um, we're also on insta instagram and facebook and all the regular social media platforms and we do have um i was very fortunate to be able to work with over a hundred colleagues and we put together a book called redefining wellness and it's a book of handy tips and advice and insights and people sharing their own stories about trying to redefine wellness um, as a move against diet culture. So it's very much anti-diet culture um, and about sustainability, which is what we've spoken about today. And it's actually a free downloadable book. Or if you would like a hard copy version, it's available on, um, on Amazon, of course. Um, and that's called Redefining Wellness. So you can go and check us out. 
Melanie Rogers, everybody, thank you so much for coming to the show and giving us your energy and your experience. We thank you so much and we appreciate you. Great to be on today. Thanks so much, Sun Moon. Once again, I want to thank Melanie for coming on to the show and giving us the benefit of her wealth of knowledge where it comes to eating disorders and mental health issues and how the two connect. You know, there's so much out there. It's almost as if it's an ocean of inaccurate facts and miseducation along with dysfunction. It's just so much out there and it almost seems at times as though it's hopeless, but it's not. There's plenty of research out there. There's plenty of people that are willing to help you if you want to find the right and proper knowledge for you. And let's also remember that everything is individual. Not one thing, not everything is going to work just for you. Everything is not for everybody. That's what makes us such amazing people. You know, I I, I don't want to get on a tangent, but I feel upset when we nowadays we talk about um, uh, everybody is like, you know, we're we're all individuals. But some people feel as though we need to abandon our individuality and into just saying that. But we're all the same. We all have similarities. We may all have similar needs, but we are not all the same. And the things that make us different are there for a reason, whether it's culturally, whether it's our religious beliefs, whether it is our just our individuality and thinking in itself. Now, within that, with the beauty within all of that is the fact of in all of our individuality is that oneness because it and this this sounds kind of like a confucius quote in the sense of different but the same same but different that's the beauty of humanity that in my opinion my personal opinion is the duality of human beings you know so Again, I want to thank Melanie for coming on to the show and helping us kind of push to the side some of the uh, the shadow that clouds the vision in this cave of in I don't want to say enlightenment in this cave of uh, research that we're doing because there's so much out there that we need to search for. But the good thing of it is the information is out there. That's the hope. That's the amazing uh, feeling of truth that hope keeps us hoping and the actual truth is out there. And it is out there. It is for everybody is different, but for everybody, it's still the same. And I just wanted to say that to anybody that's listening, it is so, so doable to be healthy and whole as a human being it is very helpful helpful (laughs) it is very doable and part of this is the fact of also i think 
This is just me sharing my thought. Part of it is also realizing that there's always work to be done. I've said this in so many podcasts and I've always started off the same way. One of the greatest lies in, that has been told to humanity is the fact of nobody's perfect. You can't be perfect. And I'm going to use profanity at this time. So trigger alert. That's just absolute bullshit. We are perfect. The reason we are perfect is because we make errors. When you make an error, you have a choice. Do I get better? Do I correct that error or do I stay the same? That's what's so amazing about us. We have the ability to correct our errors, go on, teach and show others why it can be an error and then do better and grow from that and grow from that. Or we can choose to stay the same and continue to do the same old thing and be happy with it or not. If you choose to do the same old thing and not grow, well, I guess in a sense you're growing, you're growing in another direction. It might not always be the help most healthy direction, but in my opinion, when you choose to correct an error or work on something, you're going to learn something. Something is going to open up. And from that, oh man, that's continued growth. If you want to stay the same, that's stagnation. You're, you're stagnant. You can't just stay the same. We don't even stay physically the same. There's a reason for that. Now, how we change as we get older is still up to us. If you like what you hear, please do us a favor. Follow us. We are on almost every platform there is, starting with uh, Google Play Music, iTunes, Spotify, YouTube, SoundCloud. You name it. We are on it. Follow us. Follow us here at the De La Fit Podcast. You can also go to our website, which is www.delafitpodcast.com. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and that's right, Twitter. Tweet, 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 tweet. <laughs> and you can find us there. Type in De La Fit Podcast on Instagram, D E underscore L A underscore Fit Podcast. On uh, Facebook, we are Facebook. What is that? I think Facebook. We no 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 not Facebook. We are Facebook. We are De La Fit Podcast. So you can find us on there. And again, you can always go to our website if you want to contact us. If you would like to send us an email, if you would like to ask us a question, if you want to, we always uh, love fan mail. Any fan email, we send it to us, please. Or anything where it comes to uh, questions about any of our guests. We are here for you. If you want to contact any of our guests, if you would like us to contact somebody to bring on as a guest, please hit us up at our email, which is daylife13 at gmail.com. So again, to you all out there, I will wish you all so much peace, so much happiness, so much love. Please, please do right by yourself. If you do right by yourself, you're going to do right by others. Have a great, wonderful weekend and a wonderful week. Be safe. Love. Peace. You've been listening to the Delafit Podcast. Ta-ta for now.